Hello and welcome to, what do we call this? Oh, the politics of tyranny. New Polity's second podcast here. Last week, or however we uh, released these things, we talked about <laughs> a definition of tyranny, which was really simple. It was that tyranny is rule for private gain. Yep. That's the whole idea. And that we, in fact, live under a tyranny. Indeed. But what we pointed out was that tyranny is repulsive. So when you experience it, when you experience <laughs> anyone being a tyrant, whether a little tyrant or a big tyrant, whether it's uh, within your family or it's, it's a, a, a governor, yeah. um, and you really have a sense that, oh, this man, this woman, whoever this is, is ruling for private gain. They're yeah. just in it for themselves. You're repulsed. Indeed. I so, wonder. I wonder if it's the case that little tyrants are more repulsed by big tyrants than just people are. But anyway, yeah. There, <laughs> there's probably a certain recognition of like and like that means yeah. it's competitive. Like, wait a minute, he's just like he's me. He's like me, only I, bigger and stronger, so I hate him. <laughs> and the part, part of why I, I emphasize such an obvious point that tyranny is is repulsive is because we are discussing the mechanisms of tyranny. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what that has to be understood is not just, okay, how does the tyrant get the most private gain possible? Because obviously there's a lot of contingency in that, right? Like if he really wants money, he might do certain things. If he wants land, he might do others. If he wants to amass many wives, uh, such as the case may be, mm -hmm. he'll, do, he'll, he'll do other things. But what the repulsive nature of tyranny means is that whatever those mechanisms are, they are always hiding the fact of tyranny. Right. Tyranny is always an illusion. It's always trying to spin a certain narrative. It's always trying to have a mask. Uh, it's always wearing a mask. Um, right, because, because if it weren't, if it was direct, then we would be at war. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like the good old Virginia flag. You know the Virginia flag. It's no. like, um, well, it's one woman stepping on another woman. I forget which represents which. I presume the one standing is Virginia. Um, I just forget who she's stepping on, but it's sick semper tyrannis. Ah. Thus always to tyrant. So right. So I think we are all motivated that if we ever really smell it out, this is a tyranny. We, the impulse is to crush it. No one right. should be ruling for private gain. Um, they should be ruling for the common good if they're ruling, right? Right. That's fair Indeed. to say. Mm -hmm. So these mechanisms then are, yes, to extend the private gain of the tyrant or the tyrants, mm -hmm. um, whatever the case may be, but they are also to make the tyranny go down smooth. Right. Yes. Because tyranny is the maximization of the power of, we say the tyrant and, and even right from the beginning, it's kind of a problem, right. right? Because, because we don't really, I don't think we really think that the tyrant exists in the sense of one guy who's the absolute power. Cause what we're really getting at here is that, is that the amassing of power requires the construction of modes of centralization, which it always involve large groups of people. Totally. Right. So the tyrant becomes a, a systemic. And I, and I think, yeah, it's a, it's a it's tyranny is always a system. It's always involves the whole society in some way. And I think we can say this, this very simply, because if private gain is your end, that is a nebulous end. The very word gain means it doesn't have right. some kind of fixed endpoint, right? It's, it's greedy in that sense. Like mm -hmm. you can always get more money. Right or always more power, right? It has this nebulous, ill-defined end. What does that mean? Well, that means that the person who actually sets out to rule for private gain is in a bind because that person, we're gonna consider him as one person now, though obviously this would apply to a group of people, um, is limited. Mm -hmm. You have a limited amount of energy. Um, my, if I wanted to be a tyrant, I would be seriously afflicted by the fact that my wife just had a child um, not sleeping a lot. My right. ability to domineer and lord it over other people is being like, I, I would be a pathetic tyrant. I would be, I would give it about an hour a day. Right. right? <laughs> and then I would try to nap, um, which is good for anyone under, under my rule, I suppose. But, but the point is that because man is limited, man is not God. Man is a creature. Man sleeps. He gets sick. He gets old. He spends most of his life sort of in a state of not really being causally effective. He can only pay attention to one thing at a time. Right. He's, right? he's really kind of pathetic compared yeah, yeah, to like yeah. a it's bear just one or person. something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you have a limited being who is going after an unlimited end, you have an, a conflict, right. <laughs> you have a problem. Yeah. 
And uh, this might sound really basic, but the way that then you solve that problem, or at least you begin to attempt to solve that problem, is by getting other people to do it for you. Right. So if I want private gain, and I obviously can't rely on my own weak flesh to continue after that nebulous, ever-expansive prize, well, I have to get other people to work for me. I have to get them to somehow rope them in to um, my own quest. Yeah, and there's a, there's a real imperative to doing so because the guy down the street who's also a tyrant is trying to do the same thing. Right, yeah, there's a, so there's a competition. There's here. a competition, right. You, you need to, you need to make yourself more powerful fast right. and, and, um, decisively, or you're going to lose. So hopefully this, this little, very obvious truth explains why tyranny must be a structure. It right. must be a social phenomenon. The very attempt to maximize your own gain at the expense of others means that you run into a point where you need to expand that power to include other people who are after in some way your same end right, right. yes well yes or but, whatever end they're after well, well this is the problem though right because yes. then the problem is this is that people don't usually want to work for someone a, else is good yeah so <laughs> someone else is perceived good right so so they want to work for their own okay so this is the problem this is the problem of tyranny right this is the problem the tyrant faces now one of the mechanisms it's not the only one but one of the mechanisms that tyranny always seems to me always puts in place is bureaucracy absolutely right the construction of bureaucratic a bureaucratic form i think is one of the basic tyrannical forms totally of yeah the political form and i think we need a we need a strong it's a strong claim because i think everyone hates bureaucracy yeah and everyone thinks they hate hate tyranny as well Right, uh, but the claim that a tyranny and a bureaucracy are are wedded by a kind of necessity, um, kind of brings two things together that we might not always think of as as being together. So, so we need a we need a good good we need a good definition. I, and I feel like you know the the etymological root here is is somewhat unhelpful. Because it's a bureau, right? Rule by desk. Right, right. Right. And so we all know kind of what this means, right? The sense of like... Paper, um, paper pushing. Yeah. The clerks. You take a uh, governance or some desire to rule, and then you meet the problem of having a lack of resources um, within your own human creatureliness. And so you formalize that rule um, by having law. And then having people who ensure that that law is promulgated and um, obeyed throughout society, right? Yeah. So maybe it would be useful if we tried to per, tried to provide a basic definition of bureaucracy, like a basic kind of sketch of what it is. I hope you do that. Yeah. Right so, now. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess we just take the the we might as well just take the Weberian Max Weber sort of framework because it's the most archetypical of this, but that what a bureaucracy is, it is a, a closed system. Okay. A system of procedures mm -hmm. that are, uh, procedures that are constituted by offices mm -hmm. that have functions. And those offices are independent of the people who hold them. Yeah. So okay. Like anyone so could take the job. The, the, the people can come and go, but yep. the offices become are fixed. Mm -hmm. And the procedures are are not dependent on any personal power, personal charisma, personal resources of the people who occupy the the posts or the offices. So normally that would mean that they're salaried. Okay, so that one of the reasons for that is so that the idea anyway is that they are being paid independent of the the good or lack of good that they're doing to the people over whom they're wielding their power they're not dependent on the like the good wishes of the people they're they're sure. they're ruling over in yeah. other words right they're getting paid from above to perform this um and then that their livelihood then because of this so th th they're getting paid a salary based upon their performance of the office so that whether they're rewarded or punished comes through a higher degree of management dependent on how how well they perform that office, right? So the people who they're trying to serve are above them, not below them, would be another way of putting it. Totally. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so policies come down from above the bureaucrats implement the policies yep. and they're supposed to implement them disinterestedly and with, um, rational consistency. And, and I think ultimately identically. Right. Identically, right. So there's like, no change, whoever, whoever's administrating, um, there's no change from the law as it's, you know, given at the top to how it comes down ultimately to Joe. Yeah. The, and in the ideal, the you would be able to remove people and replace them with other people and the mechanism wouldn't miss a beat. Sounds evil. <laughs> yeah. It's like the definite, it's like the worst thing I can think of. <laughs> Okay, maybe that's not maybe that's not immediately clear. So the first the first thing that I want to point out about this, I, I think we all we all get that. I mean, we've all. I mean, what, what's shocking as you explain it is actually how little isn't bureaucracy, rather than like me being able to point out like, oh, that's a bureaucracy. It's like our work, our government. Like it just seems like the basic forms of social life and law are all bureaucratic. Yeah, I mean, we've gotten ourselves into a situation where I think even when people are appealing to justice, so when they're appealing to say the rule of law, not the rule of men, or that, so those sorts of high-sounding ideals, that often is just bureaucracy. It's like what we're talking about is just we ought to all be actually functioning under a perfect bureaucracy, right, right, right. rather than having people who make decisions. Well, well, let, let, so, let, so, yeah, let's back it, that up because I think it could be I nasty. I think that there's still this question of the connection then um, between what's just been described and tyranny. So, the way I would try to put it is something like this: um, the tyrant wants to rule for private gain. He runs into this problem of his own uh, failing, or his own—I shouldn't say failing—his own limitation. And so he has to have other people who seek his end for him, right? But mm -hmm. he can't have them seeking his own end because then they would he would be revealed as as a tyrant. Right. He would be he would just be lording it over slaves right. who knew they were slaves, um, which is an unstable position for for any tyranny to be in. Like Thomas says, as soon as they think they'll have the power to kill you, they will. Right. Yeah, we don't want that. As a, as as tyrants, a tyrant, we wouldn't yeah. want that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they can't they can't know that you're their slave master. So, <laughs> so you run into this problem and then you look to those other people, right? But the problem with other people is that they are other people. Yeah, they, they have are their own ends. uniquely created by God, right? So mm -hmm. not one thing that's said about the one can be identically said about the other. There's always this difference that comes to bear. And I think this is like what the Bible in some ways is talking about when it says that in the beginning, man was created male and female, like right from the first instance. Who is this creature man? Well, he's this being that's somehow different, mm -hmm. differentiating, um, that always creates newness, or rather that God always creates newness within us. Every generation is new. We fill and multiply the earth. We, provide, we, we, we make different cultures, different languages, different peoples. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're getting at the very essence of personhood. Yeah. Right. I mean, that yeah. we are we are persons. We're not repetitions of a of a species like animals. You know, if there's one thing I'm mad about, like uh, there's a lot of things I'm mad about um, conservatives for doing. No kidding. But yeah, yeah. but one of them <laughs> is you know how it became sort of a meme, I guess, to say like um, uh, li liberals just think they're like special snowflakes. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so at first it's like, yeah, I can see how that, you know, you, you all think you're, you're so special and deserving and I, I get it. I get the problem, but there's something really horrifying about being repulsed by the idea that people are special and different. Yeah. I mean, like I want to look at my child and say like, not only are you as unique as the particular snowflake in that whole thing. I mean, it's been poisoned, right? I can't say that without irony anymore. So forget it. You guys won. It's been poisoned. Snowflakes are bad. I get it. <laughs> Fine. But that is not, <clears throat> that is a Christian revolution to right. have a, a Christian achievement mm -hmm. for us to look out at the world and say, every particular person is unique has a dignity that is not simply exchangeable with another person and is not whose, whose value is not it's the opposite of this bureaucratic value where they are in an office as it were, and could be exchanged with another, with right. another part. Okay. So that's the problem the tyrant faces that he faces unique persons. He doesn't face robots. He doesn't face clones. Um, he faces persons, but persons are somewhat unpredictable. 
But even more importantly, as you already mentioned, they have their own ends. So when um, the person who's going after private gain extends his rules to others, he's in a situation of precariousness, right? Will these people, in fact, mediate my desires as I want them to be mediated? Right. And I think there's a great... Um, and, and then there's basically, I would argue, two kinds of people, um, tyrants and not tyrants. Uh, and, and you can see the difference in their response because there's one kind of person that looks at that and says, okay, so be it. I'm limited in my power. I want to attain this particular end. I cannot guarantee the identical repetition of my will in this mediator, this mm -hmm. other person who I need, the, the one who is ruling while I'm sleeping. Right. The one who rules while I'm away. Right. Whatever it is. Sure. Um, okay. So be it. I am going to give him authority to make his own, uh, to rule himself. Yeah, as a person. As a person. See, so, that's the thing, right? Because we get back to this, this idea of personhood and what does it mean to be a person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what it, part of what it means, I think an essential aspect of what it means is that we're rational. Yeah. Right. So which means creative. Right. So we got to get rid of this. We got to get away from this idea of reason as a calculator, right, as a calculating function and get and get to understanding what it really means, which is the ability to select means towards an end. Right. And the, which which is in, in 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 large part, the ability to see in the world around us the infinitely complex matrix of act and potency, the natures of things to, to, to perceive them to a certain extent. And so to see how they could be combined, mm -hmm. how they could be combined in different sequences and different ways to create different things. Right. So to be a cause in our own right, is right. what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. To be a cause in the movement of the world from imperfect to perfect, from potency to act, right? We act as ourselves. Yeah, we build the world and we make it something good and it's not necessarily right. gonna happen one way versus another because we're There's rational. any number of ways that a rational being can uh, assemble the means towards the pursuit of even the same end. Yes. Right? Which is the the root of our ability to be artists, to be creative, to be godlike. I mean, this is how we image God as rational beings, right? Awesome. I mean, I, I know you're just saying this is a preliminary point right. from which to build. Yes. However, we're going to take a moment and say it's pretty cool to be a human being when you describe it that way. It's spectacular. <laughs> it's spectacular. And it's really rooted in this combination of our amazing dignity and our humility. Right, because it's we can perceive the natures of things, but not exhaust the natures of the thing. Totally, yeah. right? Because the nature of the thing, of course, is an idea of God. So it's a it is a is an aspect of the mind of God. It's unknowable to us. We can only know it in a, in certain modes or certain reflections or certain directions. We can catch glimpses of what these things are. Yeah. But that is so that but that humility is then where our creativity explodes. Right. Because we can, because the thing itself is infinite, I can, I can perceive pieces of it and assign, align it with pieces of something else mm -hmm. and, and have them interact in a way that creates something beautiful or something different or something unique that comes out of me. You would do something different with the same things. Right. Totally. Whereas right? two animals of the same species will always do Act things the, the same, same way. way. They yeah. don't do that. They don't perceive the universal. They have no participation in the universal. They operate merely on, in, the, in the realm of the particulars. So they can't do that. Yeah. Right. But when we do that, then our action as rational actors, as human beings, then is always this free ordering of things over which we have power. Yeah, totally. Right. Or, or other human beings even yeah. over which we have power. And that free acting or that free sort of um, it's like the illusion that's often used is like a, a potter working on clay. Mm -hmm. Right. And shaping it into into um, into a pot. And then that his image is in a sense in that pot, right? But it's in, in the mode of the pot, right? And that, and that is when we act in the world, we, that's what we are doing is we're really replicating ourselves, but we're not replicating ourselves in an identical way, right? We're replicating ourselves in an analogical way sure. or in a way that is um, a, a, really a form of participation. So the thing we're creating is participating in us. Right. So, so to, to, to kind of bring this down from the high, high and airy realms of participatory metaphor, not, not that I think you're being airy. I think you're actually being very succinct and clear for you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the point that we're making is that that's a problem to tyranny. Why? Because 
for the tyrant, right? You don't, you cannot guarantee the attainment of your end, namely private gain, if you're giving it to people as people. Right. That's so like, if I'm like, right. you know what? I absolutely want more money, right? So I cannot give the task of getting more money to someone in a full sense. I can't just say like, do whatever you will within the, your own authority and your own reason acting uniquely and creative and creatively. Right. right. He won't, he wouldn't do it. Well, that's true. Sure. Sure. I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have said, <laughs> give him the, the, the mandate of get more money. I should have said, um, like that giving authority to other people always runs this risk. What it, what it that requires they will not identically repeat your will. Yeah. So what it would require, I think is, um, the same end. Right. So, so the, the person at the top of a hierarchy, if we're talking about a hierarchy of persons has a certain end and that end is, let's say the common good, because <laughs> that's what it ought to be. Now, if it is the common good, and then you have a hierarchy of persons, people lower in the hierarchy can share that end. Their, their end is also the common good. Yeah. Right. And they are operating though, within their mode, within their location, within the overall pursuit of the common good, and therefore pursue it in a different way, yeah. right. In a, in a different, um, proximate objectives, different, but the, but it's us being, um, those, those different actions of persons within a just hierarchy are ultimately ordered towards the same end. Right. So but it, this is the problem the tyrant faces because yeah. no one would work for his end. Right. Right. So insofar right? as we all are working together to like, we're at one big team, mm -hmm. then we can handle the fact that we're all pursuing that end differently. That's right. Which is why when we talk about like, okay, what's the perfect society or whatever, we talk about something, well, we talk about the church, right? Yeah. So we're all after heaven and no one's pursuit of that goal is a threat to someone else's because it's literally a shared goal. It's, it's quite That's simple. right. Yeah. I mean, in fact, in fact, it's not just not a threat, but it is an aspect of us achieving our goal. Totally. Because we all right. are either we, doing we, it together we're, we're or not. We're building the body of Christ. <laughs> right. And every time a soul is conjoined to the body of Christ, we all become right. more Christ-like. Whereas so it's, a, the, it's a truly common good, a good that's had together. Whereas quite literally the goal of tyranny for private gain is exclusive. It is yes, the, right. that, that, that particular private person's gain. Yes. So it cannot expand power um, without this great risk of loss. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think bureaucracy becomes, um, we start to understand what exactly bureaucracy is doing. Because bureaucracy is the attempt to create in people um, an identical repetition of your particular goal, namely your private gain, mm -hmm. um, to create in people a uh, order that doesn't differentiate according to how they perceive the world and That's to right. their particular circumstance and the particular circumstances of the people that they rule over. That's um, right. Yeah. It, it tries to get them to behave like an animal. Totally, like just obey. obey I mean, so so they behave like an animal. The, the The rules of the bureaucracy become like the instincts of the animal. Mm. The animal encounters certain particulars and behaves in a predictable way. Right, it's always going right? to do the same thing. It always is going to do the same thing given the same circumstances. And so human beings are going to do are going to behave the same way within a bureaucratic order, and they're going to treat the people they encounter, so the people over whom they have this bureaucratic bureaucratic power as if they are merely particular uh, circumstances of that action, right? Rather than being persons in their own right. Totally. Yeah. I think of the story to kind of, to kind of maybe bring this, bring this to a circle is I think of the story of Moses. Um, so Moses has given rule over the Israelite people and he comes to this problem of being too tired to, mm -hmm rule each particular person. So at first they, the Israelites are literally coming to Moses with their problems. So you can imagine this big line outside of his tent or whatever, and he's hearing each of them. And then his father-in-law says, uh, you, you, you can't do this. Like you are a creature, you're frail, you're weak. You will not be able to attain this. So what does Moses do? Well, Moses gives over authority or God, you know, God blesses, but Moses gives over his authority to 70 Elders. Yeah, judges. Judges. And the important point is that they're judges. So what mm -hmm. I mean is that they are not uh, bureaucrats. So they have not, Moses did not say, okay, so what we're going to do is formalize things. 
and we're going to give each of you guys a basic procedure and you're going to follow this right. box when an Israelite has this problem, he fills out form 53 B right. and submits <laughs> it. And then no, 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 not at all. He actually gives them authority to hear the cases and to judge for themselves. Right. This is extremely important because liberals, um, and I'm thinking of Hobbes look at this same passage in the Bible and they imagine that somehow these people are like bureaucrats for Moses. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they really have this vision that the only way that power can, can work is if they're trying to identically repeat the will of Moses and he's sort of ruling still through them as if they were exchangeable. But right. the whole point of being a judge is that you're not because your judgment, your reason is at play in judging the particular case. Now, in the story of Moses here, it is true that uh, if there was a case that was too hard for the judge, it was said to be given to Moses, mm -hmm. right? So it's not, when we talk about an order that isn't bureaucratic, we're not saying it's like uh, anarchic or like, Oh no, everyone just, you know, decides for himself and there's no reference because they were all ruling for the same end, namely the common but good. But a, a non-bureaucratic order requires uh, an order of authority and obedience, mm, Yeah. right? So in which means trust. So you trust the people who are above you. You trust that they have your interests at heart, yeah. that you trust them. And so you obey them. But what you're obeying them in are, are general objectives that, that you then specify in your own field of action, right? So you specify, so you get more general commands from above or general objectives, general ends, and then you specify them through your own creative rationality for what was below you. But that relationship between what's above and below is one of authority and obedience, yeah. right? Rather than power and submission, right? right? So and the only reason why that works is because you share an end. You share an objective, which is the just order itself, which is the common good, which is something like that. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. So, so what, what the bureaucrat does or what the, 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 the bureaucracy strategy does is attempt to, um, isolate the, the person of the bureaucrat. So from his office, right? So the bureaucrat has a family, he has kids, he has ends that he's trying to perceive, he per, pursue, he's a person. But his wielding of social power becomes a means towards the fulfillment of those ends rather than the end in of itself, right? So it's not his, his bureaucratic office is not his vocation, his, right. his vocation in justice in the social order. Rather, it's just a, the way he gets the material wealth he needs in order to pursue his end, which may very well be playing racquetball. It might be running marathons. Yeah. It might be raising healthy children. Who knows? Right. So like right. The, guy, the guy at the DMV is is not ruling um for the sake of producing a peaceful healthy roadway system no he's doing it for a, a wage he's doing salary. yes that's right yeah. so he's working for a different end which means he's wielding power over people so when that guy walks up to the desk and yep. the bureaucrat's sitting across the desk from him he's wielding real power over that person but he's not wielding that power over him for the end of the common good. He's not wielding that power over him for the good of the person on the other end of the desk, right? Yeah. He's wield and he's really not wielding that power for the end of the tyrant. He's really wielding that power for his own ends, which are have nothing to do with his office. Right, which is why which if are, he took away a bureaucrat's salary, he wouldn't do the thing anymore. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think you're, you're, you're touching on something that maybe shows how pervasive bureaucracy is in our society. Cause it sounds like what you're saying is that in the, uh, transition from vocation to jobs, mm -hmm. you have a defining mark of bureaucracy where I would say a job is something that you work because you are trying to get money and you're afraid not to for whatever reason, right. For the attainment of your ends. Yep. Whereas a vocation is something you're doing because you believe it contributes to the common good. You actually want to do it for the sake of, for its own sake and for the sake of others. Yeah, I think so that's right. I mean, I think the notion of vocation is one that we don't talk about enough and we don't have a thick enough understanding of it because I think what the, the, the proper understanding would be, it's your orientation towards the whole, like you as a person, as a mm. part of the whole. How is it that you're a part of the whole, right? Like, are you a foot? Are you a hand? Are you an eye? Yeah. Right. But in what way are you a part of the whole? And it's not a piece of who you are. It's you like, so you as a person are a part of the social whole. How are you? That's your vocation. 
Wow. Yeah. Right. So it's possible that your profession and your vocation don't line up one to one. I mean, it's possible that your profession is a piece of your vocation, sure. but not. I mean, that's the way it, it likely is. But what I think happens in in the bureaucratic form is the is the objective is that your job has nothing to do with with you as a person, mm-hmm. right? In fact, in fact, if we could get a machine to do it, that'd be better. And that's the real like or pride of bureaucracy is to say. I'm not involved in this at all. Hey, it's man, not I'm just following the rules. It says right here in policy 54B. Or on the <laughs> so, or on the corporate side, you know, like it's you know the whole it's just business thing. It's right? just business, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. So, so what it's doing though is 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 hiding the objectives, I think, or hiding the ends, and also hiding the real power arrangements in society, mm-hmm. right? So, so the thing about tyrannical forms. One of the things about tyrannical forms, like, and you've said it already, I think today is that it, it's always a lie, mm-hmm. right? So the bureaucratic form can never actually realize itself. It's always, it always fails. Um, and I think we all can experience this. We've all experienced this when we realize, oh, there's this bureaucratic procedure that's supposed to make these decisions, but I'm pretty sure the decisions are actually made in the faculty lounge in between the 12 o'clock and two o'clock courses, yeah, totally. right? Where there's this little group of people talking about what they're going to do in the committee meeting. Yeah. Right. So it's really not which procedures are being followed. There's really actually interpersonal power going on uh, behind the scenes or within the bureaucratic structure. Right. So it becomes a ruse. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any kind of corporate uh, bureaucracy, it, it doesn't take long to realize, well, the reason that the formal bureaucracies in place is for this production of profits. But that particular goal is for the people who are actually getting the profits, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously right. it's only useful insofar as it's a tool. It's it's not that you've created some kind of seamless, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is always going to be um, used or not used insofar as it really does serve that end. Right. So, I mean, I guess one of the things I'm saying, though, is that it becomes dishonest. Sure. Right. So so one of the things about bureaucracy. So we've talking about, OK, the guy, the bureaucrat who's wielding power over the person on the other side of the desk, not for their own good, is developing every time he does that. That's a moral act. Mm. Right. He's he's wielding power over someone and not with their their good and his concern. Right. Which means he's developing vices. Yeah. Right? He's developing vice, vices that have to do with tyranny. And. And that that is what another like series of vices that are being developed is this dishonesty, right? So that you you act as if the bureaucratic forms are where the the power functions. When the, as you ascend in the bureaucratic order, you 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 more and more realize that that's not the case, right? That you more and more come to understand that in fact it's it's it is people um, and vicious persons really who are wielding power within or beneath the bureaucratic structure. And you think that... So it becomes a lie on top of being tyrannical, which all, you know, is, is the way it works. Well, right, because it's always actually particular people doing this. Exactly. Thing. It's never like you actually become a bureaucrat. You're still either being virtuous or vicious in every given circumstance. And on the other side of the desk, you're either being submissive or honest, you know, as a person... Right. So the bureaucrat, the bureaucrat can act in a sort of more or less perfect bureaucratic way when they're indifferent to what's going on. Yeah. And then whenever a circumstance happens that they're not indifferent to, so presumably because of their own pursuit of private gain, then they can make exceptions. They can make that kind of paper go away. They're like, well, let me tell you how to really get this done. You fill out this one and we send it over here to Frank and then he takes care of this. Right. And that's the way. And now at that point, now we're no longer the perfect bureaucrat. Now we're working the system for our own gain. And the point right. being here that within a tyranny, there never is a perfect bureaucracy. It is, in fact, always entered into for the sake of private gain. And so no one has any kind of love for the system as such. No, each one of those bureaucrats becomes a little, a little tyrant who's participating in the big tyranny, right? In, in in their own little office. Right? I, I experience this very, I really do experience when you arrive at the face of bureaucracy that the person behind the desk is often a little tyrant. Yes, I think we've all had that experience. Yeah. Right? And it can be very frustrating because why does this person have this power over me? Right? right? 
Um, but it provides this cover. So let's say there's a bureaucracy, there's some problem in the bureaucracy. You feel like the bureaucracy is somehow treating you unjustly or it's done something wrong. Yeah. Well, what's the procedure? It's to fill out this other form and it goes, File to the, a complaint. It, it goes to the appeal committee who will then work through the, you know, your complaint. And then we'll see if we need to add another layer of oversight or some more bureaucracy on top of the system. Right. But you don't get to just go straight to the guy. Yeah. Right. And you don't, that, that itself then, so, so it provides, it provides cover within the system. So, you know, we get this, I, you know, you have a, you have problems with, in the conservative movement where, where we, we want to talk about the rule of law. People will say, oh, the rule of law, not the rule of men. You know, we need the rule of law, not the rule of men. And, and sometimes I think that they mistakenly believe that to mean that what we want is some sort of seamless bureaucratic procedural order, right? That men move within, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's actually the exact opposite of freedom, right? So like the, the idea that that will then produce freedom is, is completely delusional. Right. So the rule of, of law, if by that we mean the rule of bureaucratic processes, is the annihilation of of human freedom, right? Um, human personhood, human creative action. And what we really mean, if we're if we're going to salvage that that saying, um, is that we what we must mean by law is not some sort of closed bureaucratic um, juridical order, but what we must mean is the customary way of life. Mm. Right. The order, the social order, the just order of uh, the just hierarchical order, the way in which we live. Yeah. Right. That becomes the law. Right. So at that point, men, I mean, that law, though, that just way in which we live, that hierarchy of human persons using their power for the common good in a, in a differentiated way, that law is exactly the rule of men. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like. It's, it's, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because it, it, it's like a, what people mean is they don't want to be ruled by tyrants. But the tyrant is exactly not a man, right? I mean, he's like a perversion of a man. It's like what you want is to be ruled by men. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think, I, I think about some of the more curious aspects of, of St. Thomas that I think have enlightened me on this point. Like he's talking about law. It's an ordinance of reason promulgated for the common good. Yeah. And then he gets to this one passage where he's asking whether, whether it can be, whether any law can be dispensed with. Mm -hmm. So like doesn't apply in this circumstance. And he actually says that all human law. So insofar as it's a human being giving rule that it all is fundamentally dispensable, right? Not just here or there. All of it is humble before the particularities of person and circumstance. That's right. There is no rule of law in that sense that would somehow be an identical repetition. If what you think is no matter what the law is not dispensed with, you have right. an anti-Catholic opposite vision of what the Christian tradition is. Oh, it's, it's I think it's fundamentally idolatrous. Well, well, let's talk about that because what Aquinas says is I think jarring to our sensibilities because we think of being under law as from, from the liberal mindset where it's sort of a, um, like it's kind of cutting your losses a bit. So you mm -hmm. say like, okay, right. I'm going to yeah. be ruled by law because it protects me from people. And there might be those circumstances, mm -hmm. right? Where my circumstance is different. I really shouldn't be punished. I really shouldn't have to pay this fine. Something uh, somehow I don't fit into the particular, um, sort of legal order, but it's worth it because the law sort of creates all of, uh, all of this, relative peace. Right. And what Aquinas is saying is that if you ever come to a circumstance in which the law cannot be dispensed with, it just means you're under a tyrant. It means that there is no man who's actually being virtuous in his giving of the law and his rule. That's right. Yeah. And, and therefore able to judge person and circumstance. That's right. And we obviously live in that world, right? We obviously yes. live in a world in which dispensability is not even considered as a fundamental aspect of law. And I think we should start to realize that the Catholic vision here is something deeply personal. Yes, very much so. And, it, and, it, and it's because of what we were talking about earlier about human beings as being rational, right? So, mm -hmm. so the, the human law is, is the rational 
specification of the natural law, which is our participation in the eternal law. Mm -hmm. But another, that's just a way of saying it's that movement from the universal to the particular, right? It's that, it's that how do we live this moral pre precept? Well, we must live it in a certain way. We can't, like, there's no generic honoring your mother and father. What would that even mean? There has to be a way that we honor them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Modes, ways that we in our society do that. Well, that's the human law. But we only really encounter then the natural law as specified within human law. But human law then is always a... Uh, um, uh, it's never exhaustive of the natural law, totally. right? It's always just a particular determination of it. Right. And it could be otherwise. Which again is why right? Aquinas says that it, it should change according to the change in, in people. That's right. Because so, it's for the common good. Yeah. Right. So there's a specification of the, of the natural law for the common good and that it's not, and, and which means it is always provisional in a sense. Right. Even though it can become very authoritative, like it's necessary to obey it until it's not. <laughs> well, and you, right. you mentioned before that to say otherwise is idolatrous. And I think that this is that's quite right. literally true. So Aquinas says that the only law that's not dispensable is the law of God. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just because we can't dispense with it. Right. So I can't dispense with, you know, thou shalt not murder. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you have laws that are human laws, but they don't have that quality of being non-bureaucratic in the sense of being addressed to particular circumstances, particular persons by people really acting as people mm -hmm. <laughs> to say, I mean, I'm, I'm just making that, I'm calling that non-bureaucratic for the sake of the, the discussion. But, but wherever you have, um, whenever you have some law that is fundamentally not dispensable you do have a bad imitation of divine law you have people trying to act as if human law is divine law that's right yeah yeah, yeah. and that's just what or at least or, is it, or at least um in a sort of enlightenment mode it might be something like trying to pretend like human law is the natural law sure right so i think we get this yeah. in america a lot where where people will act as if the constitution or the declaration of independence or something mm. is the natural law itself Right. Rather than it being this, a specification of it. Right. Which is right? why, unfortunately, conservatism often can never dream beyond like the Constitution. It's like that's the limit of its of its ability to be radical is to say, well, it's not in the Constitution or it is in the Constitution. Right. As a kind of reference point. Right. Yeah. But they're, they're defeating themselves. Right. Because what, what the Catholic understanding does is it, it's actually capable of subjecting power to law. Right. Because law becomes the mode in which a particular social group lives the natural law, the way in which they do it. Right. And within that social group, there's a hierarchy of, of relative powers. And those relative powers are specifying within their vocation that law even further. Right. So you can imagine it all the way down to like a family with a father in the living room specifying the moral law of his society to his children playing with their toys. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it works its way out. But that law then, which is the way in which they live, becomes something that the individual vocation, so the individual power structure of the individual individual persons and the power they can bring to bear is in fact integrated into and must be. So it can check them, mm -hmm. right? They can't act outside of it. It's exactly that it's not that their law is not the source. It's right. a participation in the law of the community. Right. Absolutely. Right. So at that point we can start talking about the rule of law rather than the rule of men, but it's only because we've defeated the dichotomy because like the rule of law is the rule of men, real men, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. real people. Exactly. I like that. So, you know, we get bureaucracy is, is, is an amazing, um, an amazing, uh, uh, like, um, historical anomaly or, or that's not anomaly. It happens all the time, but historical specimen, right? It's an amazing thing that happens. Well, and I've definitely heard it. So when I, so people can probably realize at this point in the podcast that I'm not like the historical mind here. <laughs> um, but I definitely got this, uh, but, but I think there's a great value in that because I basically got what most people sort of get by going to like public high school. <laughs> and I definitely got the narrative that bureaucracy had a kind of salvific power, that, that bureaucracy was a way in which the arbitrary um, sort of will mm -hmm. of absolute monarchs 
became something that wasn't just this arbitrary, personal, vindictive rule over, over many. Rather, it became softened into like forms of representative government, into, into formal ways of ruling where you know, people could be replaced. And that this was actually, this is actually part of the narrative of um, arriving from a sort of bad, superstitious past to right. a free, liberal modernity. Yeah, disenchanted, rational, orderly Yeah, world. so what about where that Where power view? is held to account. Right. Uh, right. So it's almost exactly the opposite, I think. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think what actually happens is that if you go back into, say, the absolutist period, the absolute monarchs, um, they have a, a theoretical sovereignty, right? They talk a lot about being God on earth and all this kind of silliness, right? Yeah. And, um, but, but their ability to actually execute that is extremely limited. Right. right? Like they're always running into the nobles who are like, no. I don't think so, man. <laughs> and it's like, well, we really want to fight this war. Can I get some money? And they're like, nah, not this time. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, like they, they, they run into, because, because even, even as late as the 17th century into the 18th century, say the French monarch really only has a few thousand officials for the whole country. I mean, they, they don't have a bureaucracy. Right. And, and it's really still run. The power is still ultimately um, has to has to sort of flow through these str social structures that are controlled by other social forces and, and who have real authority. Yeah. And who the ability to wield real power and ends on their own. And so there's always this sort of negotiation of power. Right. That's mm -hmm. going on. And what actually occurs um, in, in the, the move to de democratic sovereignty is the reduction of those other those competing structures as much as I mean, a massive reduction. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is that the creation of representative representative institutions, I think, in a lot of ways, is not um, a mitigation of sovereignty, but a ex radical extension of sovereignty. Right. It's so like instead of having these nobles or an aristocracy that actually wields its own sort of particularized authority over you know, various circumstances and persons, um, you're essentially obliterating them and putting in uh, identical representations of power as it's held within the, as the absolute monarch holds it, although obviously then it doesn't become no the absolute, absolute monarch, monarch, it becomes right, the state. Right. It's almost like there's this irony in it that the, the, the ultimate extension of power required the elimination of the absolute monarchs. Oh, totally. right. I mean, but that's exactly what we sort of said at the beginning, right? That mm -hmm. when you when you when you desire to rule in this sort of uh, idolatrous manner, but you come up against the very stark fact that you're not God, um, then the only way to do it is by creating a structure in which that that power is represented. Um, and I try attempt to identically repeat it mm -hmm. uh, throughout society and in different people, but that means that whatever person starts the process is now just as good as the whole structure. Right. So, so you can imagine in a sort of democratic institutions, instead of, instead of there being a bunch of social powers that have real power and that any sort of efficacy in the world has to be a real world negotiation between these forces, you bring all that into the legislature through representatives and they'll fight it out there. And then a law is passed and then it becomes efficacious universally, mm -hmm. right? And all must obey, right? So you're, you're, you're replacing what was once a decentered power structure with a centralized one by bringing all the, the power that was out there into the central apparatus, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So there's an irony to it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That tyranny always creates a structure that's sort of more malicious and stronger than any one tyrant. I mean, there's a logic to it, right? That, 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 that tyranny and democracy sort of converge on each other. That does sound ironic. I mean, that the most the most perfect tyranny is a is a democratic one, right? Right. 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 Well, I mean, so you, you know, d bureaucracy allows allows for the construction or the wielding of of power. You 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 started out saying that bureaucracy is repulsive to us, and that's right, but. But you think about what it can do. I mean, uh, an example I often talk about with my classes is is the Holocaust, right? Where where you think the the the, the killing that occurred in the Holocaust on the scale that it did required the coordination of hundreds of thousands of people working specialized jobs, and there's no conceivable way that all of those people would have worked towards the end of eliminating the Jews, 
right? Like that is not something they would they would have done. Like it's it's not possible to mediate that end down and through a hierarchy of persons, right? right? So it has to be through a bureaucratic form where the guy who's replacing, who's, you know, who's fixing the railroad tracks is just fixing the railroad tracks so that he can feed his kids. Right. He's not working towards the end of making sure the trains keep running. Right. Right. But that is what he's doing. Right. So, so the, 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 the point is that the, there is an efficacy to it. So, so, so that bureaucracy, because it hides power, right? Because it hides who's wielding power to what end and it obscures it. It allows for the masking of culpability. You know, so it's like this this huge operation of evil is only possible if all these people if all these people work together. But then, who's responsible for it? Right, all of them, or none of them, or is it just Hitler, or right. is it just right? It hides it. Right, totally. Yeah, yeah you see, I mean, you see this on a, obviously a mediocre level uh, within sort of corporate bureaucracies, right, where the very structure of management kind of going up to a corporate top means that no one is responsible for any problem that you have right. with the corporation. Which is they have to hire a consultant to come in and make it and be, be responsible. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, and maybe we can sort of wrap it up here that the, the bureaucracy, bureaucracy, it's getting harder to say as we yeah. go on. Uh, it, it makes people actually vicious mm -hmm. because it puts them in the inhuman situation of wielding power over others, not for the sake of those others, not even for the sake of the common good, generally speaking, right. but for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so it makes them little images of the tyrant right. um, and ultimately participants in a structure of tyranny. Right? Um, it makes those individuals vicious. It also makes society more homogenous. And I think this is important because it's not simply that okay, you have these sort of homogenous bureaucracies as if they're like these institutions that then administer to a population that's basically differentiated and interesting and creative and novel and doing all these different things. The whole point is that it kind of is a war against that because mm -hmm. to have a law that is is not dispensable and is just um, repetitiously promulgated down to the lowest member of society, you have to also begin to imagine all of those recipients of the law as being the same. That's as right. As being capable of an identical, non-dispensable law, right? So you mm -hmm. have this mirroring, I think, of growth in bureaucracies, but then also homogenization of culture, which goes right alongside the destruction of social, uh, of actual different social authorities right. within a society. It's like, well, you just have less less different institutions in a society. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, of course yeah. you're a less different people. And this, <laughs> this is something that is very, very interesting, I think, because you read, if you read someone, you read the liberals, it doesn't matter if you're talking about John Stuart Mill or you read, uh, you know, Hayek or even Rawls. And they have this idea that, that liberalism is going to produce pluralism because there's like a whole bunch of different ends and people can pursue different ways of life. And we want this sort of minimal sort of bureaucratic, uh, consistent legal regime that allows for all this diversity to occur. Like they thought that they kept, they kept saying things like that. But what we actually see happening is the exact opposite, right? That the creation of that, of that unitary regime produces homogeneity in ends, homogeneity in ways of life. And this makes sense, right? Because the way bureaucracy works, it, one of the ways is it, it works is it sort of maps onto reality, the big messy reality of differences, um, a, 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 some sort of scheme that accounts for everything so that it can be tabulated within the bureaucracy, right? right. So you're this kind of person with these characteristics, you're this, right? So every human being becomes a, a certain type of citizen with certain types of rights. Every piece of property becomes a certain type of thing that has certain juridical realities, right? Everything becomes capable of being adjudicated within the bureaucratic process. Well, the more powerful the bureaucracy becomes, the more the, the, the need to conform to that apparatus on the, on the part of the very bottom of the social hierarchy of the actual people who are living becomes realized, becomes felt, yeah, right? Totally. So the, the, the conformity to the bureaucratic rule, it's like it's being opposed from above and it's being adopted from below. Oh, and I think you, you experience this because whenever you walk into a obviously bureaucratic, whether it's an office or a DMV or, a, you know, whatever it is, you know that the way to get through it for the sake of attaining whatever end you came into that office for is to be as understandable as possible to, to be the bureaucracy. The, be what they're looking for, right? Because if you're not, 
then yep. you will be there a long time. <laughs> but this, <laughs> so but it's this, very practical. I think. So that works in the in the DMV, but it also works in society. So yeah. as you develop a more tyrannical form of the social order as a whole, then it's like, okay, well, the way you get ahead is you you know you build your resume, you get good grades, you do these extracurricular activities, and you write this you 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 know whatever like there's a whole sort of checklist of things that you do. You save a certain amount of money, and you invest it in this way. You do you live in this kind of a house. You do right. You become this form that the the work the the structures the big power structures of society understand, mm -hmm. right? You're an understandable consumer. You're an understandable political actor. You're an understandable demographic, mm -hmm. right? And then you get the rewards and uh, avoid the punishments mm -hmm. that are attached to all that. So you really, it's, it's, it would be unwise <clears throat> to make some sort of distinction between like the official bureaucracy and the rest of society because it's a social order. It's like Absolutely, a right. way of living for, for everyone. Yeah, it becomes that. Yeah, it can become that. So it makes the bureaucrats vicious. It makes the citizens of the bureaucracy, if you want to call them that, vicious, or mm -hmm. at least in a submissive sort of sniveling right. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it also makes opposition uh, look bad in the sense of opposition tends to just be, um, we, we tend to not have a lot of imagination here. It's just like, well, I'm ungovernable or I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm really very different than everyone else. That sort of knee-jerk reaction i think to it comes to so it it ultimately seems like there's not a lot of good you could say for it which would make sense if we well, if i was going to say one good thing sure it would be something like in a state of emergency it may be necessary to organize populations in a sort of bureaucratic mode as in a form of um basically military action yeah right like we we need to exert as much power as possible for some some emergency situation and we need to not convince everybody that we're right and everyone just needs to do it. <laughs> and so we fight maybe. Yeah. Well, it does seem like even in, in Thomas, you have precisely that idea because a, a people's circumstance is relevant to, to the law. Right. So what I mean is like a bureaucracy ironically could be appropriate given a circumstance. But the whole point is that taking the circumstance into account is non-bureaucratic. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like to be able to say like, this is only going to be applied for as, as long as this emergency is in existence. Yep. It sounds like I'm leading, like I'm going to do some pandemic thing, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the pandemic's a good example. It that, is. Right? Yeah. Because you have a, um, the, the obvious sort of fear is that you just have an expansion of bureaucracy on the basis of the expansion of uh, an emergency to every aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, uh, you know, and we'll talk about this more in future episodes because I think um, the perpetuation of crisis and emergency is another mechanism mm -hmm. right alongside bureaucracy by which tyranny succeeds. Certainly, And I think it's important to see that bureaucracy uh, is self-perpetuating in the sense that it is um, taking that state of emergency and imagining it to always apply, which is another way of saying to imagine that war is always constant. constant. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no peace. There's no normal. There's conflict. And then and because there's conflict, military structuring of society, which is sort of what you're alluding to, right. bureaucracy really being, mm -hmm. is always, it's natural. It's necessary. It's the only way to achieve some semblance of peace or something. Yeah. And I think that self-perpetuating nature of bureaucracy is maybe the, the final sort of repulsive element of it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you get this, um, there's this great play called The Memo. And it's, um, and it's well, I won't go into it. But basically, you get this idea of um, they, they institute a new language, a more efficient corporate language. Um, and then the play is just about the ridiculousness that comes up from them trying to implement it and it not really working and kind of rubbing up against the real. Um, but it seems like within bureaucracy, because everyone is working just for their own end, that you could literally have, you know, people doing completely absurd and silly things that have no relevance to reality back and forth so long as they're getting paid. 
Uh, yeah. So right. you can imagine like <laughs> one person filling out a form, giving it to another person, that person rubbing it out and giving it back. And this working within a system in which their motivation is ultimately the paycheck, which they're still getting. Right. The idea that we've created a form where this is even conceivable as a joke <laughs> uh, should give us pause about it as a, a natural way of I don't know how living. far from reality that is in a lot of government bureaucracies in particular. Well, and you think about a lot of like university administration, right? right? Where you have, you have um, people whose job, when you really get down to it, they need to hire. I mean, think about the fact that large universities and corporations need to hire other corporations to look at their bureaucracy and fire people. Right. I mean, that... That's crazy. Like if you're ever doing something where there is a significant portion of the people that don't need to be doing what they're doing in order to attain ends, even if that end is just like profit or something, that you, you can hire someone outside to look at it and say, fire these 20 people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, the bureaucracy, <laughs> that, 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 that's that whole logic of consultants, which is just crazy. But um, the bureaucracy, it becomes self-perpetuating in a lot of ways along the ways of what you're describing there, where you have situations like like, um, you know, you have to have a whole, you're talking about universities, you have to have a whole bureaucracy to do like, uh, education effectiveness, like looking at the results for surveys and all this kind of stuff. And the whole bureaucracy is there because they have to look at all this stuff. And it's like, well, what if we didn't do any of that stuff? Right. And it was like, well, then how would we know how you guys are doing in the classroom? It's like, well, that's the whole point is that you wouldn't, right? Like you wouldn't, we wouldn't need you at all. Right. Right? We don't. <laughs> right. But if, if we're going to have you here in the bureaucracy, then you have to do something and that something has to be effective, which then means that we have to have paperwork and, and surveys taken and exams, you know, all this kind of stuff that is then so that the bureaucrats have something to look at. <laughs> right. You know, so that they can do something. Yeah. Right. Right. It's a well, very I interesting think, I, situation. I, I think that's in some ways the, the, the hope that, Speaking about a Catholic social order, um, and really just Catholic social teaching generally has to offer that what one of its beginning principles here is that mediation is a good thing. Mm -hmm. That the um, there's a limit to human power, and it's good because we're not God; um, we are creatures, and it's good to be a creature. And it is good to give over authority to others so that they can rule within their sphere, within the souls that they care for. And that this is actually a more accurate imitation of God than even the greatest sort of God-like pretensions of the tyrant. Because mm -hmm. when, when Aquinas looks at, looks at the question of, of mediation, he says that only human beings, well, human beings uh, rule through mediators because of a defect in their power. Right, that lack that we were talking about. God doesn't like that. God doesn't. God doesn't give over um, the sort of ordering of the cosmos to human beings and to angels because he lacks the ability. Rather, he gives it the term that the way they translate it is it says because he gives over the dignity the dignity of causality mm -hmm. to creatures. So it's be precisely because he wants to give them the gift of being creative, of right, being able right, to right. act. Yeah. Like he Another acts. way Thomas talks about that is that. God isn't just good, but part mm. of his goodness is he is that he imparts goodness to others. Right. And so to image God more perfectly, we're not just good. We also are capable of imparting good to others. Right. Right. Which is that same idea. So, so, the, so we're, we're able to be a cause. Yeah. It's awesome. And the yeah. opposite of tyranny is, um, is rule for the common good. And that rule longs for its own limitation. Right. There's right, a humility yeah. within the rule because if the point of the rule is for the common good, then it's precisely that you want other people to also perfect themselves by ruling and ruling well. That's right. I mean, you think about a, a father and his children. The father does not, one would hope, say, okay, I've got to raise this child so that he'll be able to identically repeat my will in the world. I mean, that would be perverse. That would literally be tyrann tyrannical, yeah, right, right? Right, right? Rather, the father looks at the child and says, I want you to be perfect in yourself as you as a person 
Right. Right. In your own vocation. So not unrelated to the father in some weird way. Oh, it's an image of the father. It's, it's just an image, an analog, analogical image or an image in right, now the mode now, of the son. Because now that child is acting as you acted in the sense of freely and creatively. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the Catholic resistance to the bureaucratic form, which is just a very obvious mask for tyranny, it's a sort of direct consequence of tyranny, that resistance to that is always going to be a resistance of humility. That's right. In the sense that it's never going to be able to address it by like rival forms of tyranny. Like, okay, well, well, we're going to have a bureaucracy, but this bureaucracy is going to be all aimed towards promulgating the teachings of the church or like goodness or something like that. Because that would be, that would be to take the devil's tools and try to, you know. The only way it could work would be to reduce the teachings of the church um, to a lie. Right. To reduce them to just to a, uh, to a propaganda ideo sure. ideology, sure. right? Something like that you're pursuing as an ideological uh, fanatic devotion and not as actually the, the law of God himself, which we have to be humble before. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's right. And, and what you're saying there is, is very classic. I mean, because like if you look at Aristotle's discussion of of politics and he says, you know, that a true citizen is one so a free man a citizen is one who alternates between ruling and being ruled mm. right and and it's not just explicitly like holding offices and not holding offices but but he's he a, a true citizen a true free man is situated in a social hierarchy where he receives law from above and promulgates law below like he he he's a mediator of the truth in his own power like he has his own realm of power where he is in fact in fact, the lawgiver, right? And then also where he's receiving law from above. And I think this is the this is the ultimately the Catholic ideal of free people who rule themselves, right? But but, but isn't anarchic, far from it. Mm -hmm. Right? There are real power structures, real yeah. authorities. Yeah, real authority that always maintains itself free of tyranny because of its humility. Right. Never tries to imitate the divine law identically, but always tries to mediate it into society, which is to be cognizant of change, of difference, of circumstance, and ultimately of, of person. Right. And that's good. And that's a good, that's a good cause for hope. And so uh, uh, we like to end on causes for hope because great. it's best not to be depressing when you're <laughs> asking people to listen to you for an extended period of time. So thank you Indeed. so much for uh, joining us here in our, in our first discussion of a particular mechanism of tyranny. Now we're going to be doing um, a lot more because uh, tyranny is a slippery business and it loves to hide itself uh, using all sorts of tools at its disposal. So we're going to be going through them and we hope uh, really unveiling some of the perennial teachings um, within Catholic social teaching as we do so. So thank you so much. Please check out newpolity.com for more uh, essays and articles on these and similar issues. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye.